Back in 2012, myself and Bria, as well as our girls, we had an opportunity to do a little bit of vacation in Orlando, and we were there over a weekend. We got a chance to go and to be a part of a worship service at Church at the Cross with some friends of ours. It's pastored by a friend of mine, Dr. Clayton Clore, wonderful man of God, wonderful church. And on that particular Sunday, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion. I will use those two terms interchangeably. And throughout the service, I found myself just wiping away tears the entire time. Now, mind you, I've been in church my whole life. I have received communion from the time I was a child all the way through adulthood. As a pastor of almost, at that time, it was close to 20 years, but now over 20 years, I've preached messages on communion, and I have served thousands of believers in communion. So this was by no means my first time. It's my, by no means my first time of celebrating communion in a different church. And yet I found myself in a place of almost seeing it again for the first time. And as I sat and I reflected on how could it be that after going through communion so many times, why am I emotional about it today? There was one piece that God helped me to recognize in that moment. And that is, as the pastor served his people, he wasn't in a hurry. He developed each part of the message and let its implications sink in. When it got to a time of allowing people to examine themselves before God, he gave them ample time to examine themselves. He calmly walked in front serving people. As I watched, I was overwhelmed because I found myself at different places in ministry where I rushed through communion and I allowed the significance of the sacrament to come in second behind the order of service. I wanted to get to the next thing. And you know, as believers, many times when you've done something multiple times, you can almost go in autopilot. You just, you go through the motions. You don't let the pieces sink in deep. As I was watching my my friend serve his people communion, God brought two words to my mind. Slow down. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where God brings a thought, a concept to mind, and immediately he connects it with 10 to 12 other areas of your life at the same time. But that happened on that day. As soon as those two words came to mind, slow down, I could connect it back into my prayer life as I had been rushing through my prayer life. I could connect it back into concerns I was dealing with in counseling. I could connect it back to sleep problems in my life. I could connect it back to the fact my mind would not shut off in the evenings. I could connect it back to other discipleship challenges. I, I could connect it to multiple areas, but in that particular moment, I could absolutely connect it to the Lord's Supper and communion. It was almost like God was saying in that moment, I just want you to pause slow down, and let each part of this sink in. That's what I want us to do this evening. I don't want to be in a hurry. I don't want to rush through anything. But I want us to take some time to pause 
and let each of the different parts of communion sink in. I invite you this evening to go with me in your Bibles, if you happen to have them, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. I'm speaking this evening on the subject, do this in remembrance of me. And I have specifically put very few notes for people to take tonight. And I know a lot of you, you, you enjoy taking notes. I enjoy taking notes. Uh, but I, I did this so it would be from a minimalist perspective. Because tonight, instead of focused on all the pieces, I don't want you to miss being present in the moment, if that makes sense. Sometimes it's best to go back and watch a video later and you can take all the notes then, but sometimes we get so excited about maybe what we're hearing and how we want to record it that we miss the key connections that are being made in that moment. I don't want you to miss any part of what we're going to be going through in this text. So as you have your place in 1 Corinthians, let me kind of set up a few pieces on this, and that is 1 Corinthians is written for the purpose of correction and training. By the time we get to chapter number 11, the Apostle Paul is correcting abuses in relation to communion itself. The church in Corinth had replaced the beauty of the communion table with drunkenness and gluttony and rude manners and division. So as the Apostle Paul writes, he is correcting problems and he is encouraging them to reestablish the sacraments as something that needs to be cherished. That's the context that we're walking into here. Now, while each of the four Gospels records a section of Jesus celebrating that final meal with his disciples in the upper room, it's not until you actually go into 1 Corinthians 11 that it stresses where the heart, and listen, and the mind of the believer is to be when they are participating in communion. This is one of those teaching text that if we allow it to sink in, it'll help us know how do I approach it, not only tonight, but in the future when, when you hear on this evening or on this morning we're going to be celebrating communion, how do you prepare your heart and mind in order to participate in it? Now, according to this particular text, communion should cause us to pause and to look in four different directions. And I'm going to give them to you quickly and then I'm going to go in through and explain each one. We are to look back and to remember Christ's death. We are to look forward to his imminent return. We are to look within and examine our lives. And we are to look around to preserve unity. Now, I want us to begin with that first point. We are to look back and remember Christ's death. So if you would, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. I want us to get into the section starting in verses 23 and 24. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, that phrase, had given thanks, it comes from a Greek word that simply is eucharisteo. It's where we get the word eucharist. 
dependent upon your denominational background or the church that you were part of. You might have heard of people celebrating the Eucharist or them taking the Lord's Supper or them participating in communion. Those terms are used interchangeably referring to one and the same event. In verses 25 and 26, it says, In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The first thing that the Apostle Paul is doing is he wants to take us back to a very specific moment in time. He takes us back to the upper room. He takes us back to that time that Jesus was celebrating or walking through this last supper, this final meal with his disciples just before he goes to the cross. It's on that evening as they are celebrating the Passover. That was an annual festival that the Jewish people would celebrate. It was a festival that reminded them of how God brought them out of slavery in Egypt and he brought them into the promised land. In that particular celebration, they had unleavened bread and it became a symbol of leaving Egypt in haste. And the cup of wine or cups of wine that would take place at that feast, it represented the lamb's blood that was to be smeared around the doorpost and around the frame of the house as people were to, to do that in obedience to God's commands. It was a meal that had been celebrated for years. But on that particular night, Jesus changed the meaning of those two pieces, the bread and the wine. And in changing the meaning, he now began to teach what was going to happen with his body that was going to be given for us. In the text, Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is for you. And he changed the meaning of the bread itself. The bread, it transitioned from something that was made in haste, here it is, for their physical exodus, to now something carefully designed for their spiritual exodus. This is my body, which is given to you. He changed the meaning of the cup of wine. That cup transitioned from the lamb's blood that was to be smeared on the house to the lamb of God's blood that must be applied to our heart. Now, there has been a lot that has been taught and written about the symbolism behind the bread and the wine, and it is powerful symbolism. But sometimes we allow what could consider to be the mystical pieces of Scripture to cause us to overlook the simple things that God put there. I want you to look at two words that jump out. For you. This is my body, which is for you. Here it is. He gave his body for you. He endured the cross for you. He suffered for you. He died for you. He, he did all of this not because of sin of his own, but he did it for you and for me. Communion reminds us of the personal nature of our relationship with God. I've had this happen a number of times, and it, fortunately enough, it's not often. But occasionally I will have people who will come and they will share their concerns with me about contemporary music within the church. And their concern is usually coming back to this. They'll say something to this effect. 
a lot of contemporary music focuses a whole lot on what God has done for the purpose, the purpose, person, and not as much on the character and the nature and the attributes of God. And here's what they're saying. We're making things man-centered. I get what they're saying. I honestly do. We do not ever want worship to be man-centered. It needs to be God-focused. But I also want to be really, really careful here. There's also a danger in depersonalizing worship altogether. Real worship doesn't happen in a spiritual vacuum. Real worship is the overflow of being rightly related to God. And that's personal. Real worship, it flows out of the idea that he gave his body for you. He suffered on the cross for you. He died a horrible death for you. That is unbelievably personal. How could it not be at somewhere along the way that in a moment of being caught up in what our Savior has done, it does not overflow into praise for all that he has done for us. We want to worship God for who he is. But there is ample opportunity to praise and to worship God for what he has done. Communion is a moment that reminds us this is what he has done for you. In the text, we understand that verses 24 and 25, he says, do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's table is not a monument that we walk around and observe from a distance. He doesn't say, consider this in remembrance or look at this if you happen to get a chance. He said, do this. Do this. There's a participation in this moment. Here it is. Because of what he has done for us, he says, you do this in remembrance of me. This is a moment where because the fact that Jesus has died on the cross and he has redeemed us as a church family, we get a chance to participate by faith in communion. Verse number 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Jesus wants us to remember his death and to remember it continually. Have you ever noticed that when a loved one dies, we de-emphasize how they died so that we can focus on their life? Jesus did just the opposite. He said, remember my death. Remember how I died. Remember what happened to me. Remember the price that was paid for your redemption. Why in the world would he want us to remember something that was so gruesome, something that is so horrific if you allow it to sink in your mind? Why does he want his people to remember? Here's your answer. For Christians, life is better on the other side of death. I'm going to give you several passages for this, and this is one of those areas, if you take that statement out of the context I'm giving it, it's going to sound extremely morbid. But here's a couple of references for that. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Had Jesus not been willing to die, we would have remained separated from God. Praise God for the fact that he was willing to die. For believers, life is better on the other side of death. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If we want our lives to bear spiritual fruit for God, it comes on the other side of death to self. If, if we die to self, he lives spiritual fruit through us. For believers, life is better on the other side of death. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, the apostle Paul believed that he was going to die at the hands of Nero. And here's what he said. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Here it is. For that is very much better. For the believer, life is better on the other side of death. Believers are not to live with this morbid infatuation of death, but rather we are called to live out the principles of death every day in our lives. We're called to die to self so that Christ can live through us. We're called to die to our will so that he bears spiritual fruit through us. And one day when we die physically, we get to celebrate the fact that we will be in his presence in heaven. We look back and we remember Christ's death. We look forward to his imminent return. In verse number 26, you'll find these words, until he comes. Let this sink in. Communion is a temporary celebration that points to a permanent solution. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, here it is, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Communion reminds us of Christ's return. Nobody knows the day nor the hour. It might be a hundred years from now. It might be tomorrow morning before we wake up. But here's what we know for sure. One day that eastern sky is going to split. And that Savior who came the first time as a suffering servant will return a second time as victorious king. When we celebrate communion, we're looking back at his sacrificial death and we are looking forward to his triumphant return. Here's a third place we're looking. We look within to examine our lives. Verses 27 and 28. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I want you to notice that Paul did not say that we have to be worthy to partake. He said you are to partake in a worthy manner. 
If we had to be worthy first, none of us would partake. Only Jesus alone is worthy. But because of what he has done, we have an opportunity to be involved and we are to partake in a worthy manner. Uh, to participate in a worthy manner, it means that we examine our own hearts and we judge our own sins and we confess those things before the Lord. This is an entire meal that reminds us of Jesus' incredible price that was paid. Listen, listen, to free us from the bondage of sin so that we might be in right relationship with God. So if we participate drenched in sin, not caring about things between our soul and our Savior, it is effectively thumbing our nose at what God has done for us. He says, partake in a worthy manner. Verse number 29, he says, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Oh, this is a great place to pause for just a moment and allow the beauty of the Greek language to help us understand the depth of what God has done for us. The word judgment, it comes from this word krima, K-R-I-M-A. It carries the idea of chastisement. Why is that important? Because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. In other words, the moment you repented of your sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ, your sin debt was forgiven past, present, and future. The slate has been cleared. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So Paul is careful in his wording. Judgment refers to discipline of the saved in verse 29. Condemned is kata crima. It refers to condemnation of the lost in verse 32. It's two different words. He, he's saying, take your time, and as you receive communion, do it in a worthy manner. Because if you don't, you are inviting the chastening hand of God into your life. You're inviting God to bring discipline. That's what God does. That's what a loving father does with his sons and his daughters. He disciplines us when we are going outside of the parameters that are going to lead to a life of flourishing with him. He disciplines not out of anger, but out of love. So here's what Paul says. Don't do this in an unworthy manner. Remember what he's done for you. Take the time to examine yourselves. Hey, by the way, that's why we shouldn't ever rush communion. That's why we take our time. When there's a, a period of time in a few moments, and I'm going to encourage you, take some time to just sit with God, to ask him, is there any sin that has been unconfessed in your life? Are there any attitudes that he's been challenging, but you're saying, I'm not willing to release that? If there's any steps of obedience that you know he's called you to and you keep saying, no, 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 now's the time to say, yes, I submit. Now's the time to say, Lord, I confess that before you. That's why that time is so important. Here's the next one. We look around to preserve unity. Verse number 29, it speaks of judging the body 
rightly. We don't look around to criticize each other, but we do look around to discern Christ's body. You know one of the things I love about this church? Everybody doesn't look the same. You know what I love? It's different ages in the same room. It's children through senior adults. I love the fact that there's rich and poor, there's black and white, there's young and old, all together in the same place. You know what happens when you look around and you see people who look different than you, have different jobs than you, grew up in a different area than you, and yet they are worshiping the same Lord and Savior as you? You know what that does? It lets you know the family of God's big. It lets you know that when you're praying for that loved one, you can watch that other person worship. You're like, I know their story and God set them free. I got hope for my loved one here. When you're watching what God... One of the things that was so beautiful to me as I watched that church serve communion, as I watched different ethnicities serve each other. Did you know there's only really one place you can look in this world right now where people can look and say there's something that is trying to keep people together and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that keeps trying to separate and yet when you come together in communion you look around and you're like it's the same blood that cleansed him. Same one that cleaned her. It's the same blood that saved me. It should move us when you look around and see different people participate in a communion. If everybody around you looks like you, something's wrong. I've prayed over the years that God would give me the gift of pastoring a church that is as diverse as the world that Jesus came to save. And I'm going to keep asking God for that over and over and over again. I want it to be one day when we get to heaven, nobody's surprised by who's there. <laughs> we look around and are like, praise the Lord, this is what I got a chance to be a part of here on earth. We look around to preserve the unity. So here's those four pieces. We look back to remember Christ's death. We look forward to his imminent return. We look within to examine our lives, and we look around to preserve unity. So as we close, we're going to receive communion, and I want us to walk through those exact same four steps. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take a moment. As the pastors come, they will take their places at the different tables. I'm going to ask each person who's just sitting right now in your seat, would you take some time to just spend between you and God? Examine your hearts. Now is a time to ask God questions like, is there any sin that has been left unconfessed in my life? Now is the time to ask God, are there attitudes that you've been challenging that I've been unwilling to address? Ask God, is there a point of obedience 
that you're calling me to that I keep saying no. So if you would, in the silence, I want to encourage you just to sit with God and to process through those questions. Just sit with him. As you continue to pray, here's what's going to be happening on this all around you. Seth is going to lead our band in a time of worship. And there's going to be different communion tables that are set up. There's tables in the front. There's tables in the middle. All of them have the same elements on them. So when you feel that God has released you to be able to go and to pick up the elements, I'm going to encourage you to go pick them up and walk them back to your seat. Don't open them yet. Don't receive them yet. We're going to do that together as a family here in just a moment. So I'm going to have a word of prayer over you, and then afterwards, Seth is going to lead in worship, and as that happens, we're going to open things up for communion for people who are ready to come and receive the elements. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the fact that we can stop and we can remember the price that was paid for our redemption. We ask, Lord, this evening that you would give us unbelievable clarity at this time. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may stand and receive the elements. Come up and get those at this time. Promise I won't. 
everyone has now received communion and one of the things that I want you to do if you would for just a moment is I want us to peel the top layer off and that will allow that little wafer to come out I figure if we do all of this together you hear the noise all at one time 
you can put that off to the side. And then at the same time, if you would, peel back the second layer. And that will also expose a little bit of grape juice that is there. So as we take a moment to act upon what we just went through in Scripture, I want to go back through and I want to read those couple of basic texts right up front. Here's what Jesus did in this particular night. It's being one that is now mentioned here from the Apostle Paul. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He goes on to say, In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I want you all to think for just a moment about the fact that what we just celebrated is temporary. There will be a time in heaven when the communion table is replaced with the wedding supper of the Lamb. No more crying, no more tears, no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow. With the saints of old and those who have yet to be born, but one day we will see in eternity, we'll have a chance to celebrate as a family, one big family together. Let's pray and thank God for what he's done for us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, there is no possible way that we would ever be able to say enough, to worship enough, to serve enough, to do anything enough for what you have done for us. We remember tonight Jesus' body that was broken and his blood that was spilt so that we might have eternal life. We recognize there was nothing that we could do to have earned it. It is completely because of your grace and your mercy for us. So, Lord, may we remember faithfully what you have done. And we will thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you leave this evening, just remember what we celebrated tonight and took time to remember. You don't have to wait until we receive communion together again to remember what Christ has done for you. There is nothing that will motivate you more to spend time with your Savior than to remember his sacrifice for you. All right? God bless you all. Have a wonderful evening. We'll see you this next week.